Good evening, everybody. What a great time of worship, huh? Time to sit before the Lord. Uh, let's get into the Word tonight. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I want to welcome everyone online, too, and those of you connected in. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, and thank you for you guys coming and your faithfulness here. And you know what? God sees uh, your heart, your seeking heart, and how you desire to really know more of him, get into his word, study it, and to to live for him, to be near him. And I, I don't know about you, but I've talked about this before. I need Wednesday now. I need this time of just being with the Lord. It's such a great time. Midweek, come, get recharged, renewed, and to finish off our week. Uh, it just gives me so much strength and help. And, and uh, so I hope you guys are blessed too, even those... On, online, I hope you felt the spirit too as we are worshiping together. Well, Luke chapter 19, we're going to finally, uh, we've reached the beginning of this chapter after so many messages in chapter 18. But uh, let's pray once more. Lord God, uh, we thank you for tonight. And holy, holy, holy are you, God. And we cry with the angels, Lord, and we just bow at your feet. And we need you so much, God. We thank you for being here tonight and thank you for touching the worship already and just feeling your spirit and I ask that you'd open your word up to our hearts now and that your spirit would speak and anoint this time and just use it Lord for for us to be renewed encourage God to be convicted to be transformed Lord to be brought closer to you and so may your word tonight nourish our souls Lord we are hungry God we're hungry for you and hungry for your word. So bless this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. CEO Michaela Almer gives this advice to anyone trying to start a business. And this is what she says. Be fearless, believe in the impossible, and dream like a kid. Like a kid? Yes. This CEO is actually only 15 years old. Makayla is a CEO of Me and the Bees Lemonade. It's a fresh-squeezed flaxseed lemonade sold at stores like Whole Foods, Kroger, Ralph's, and other stores around the nation. And her, her success at a young age actually has been featured on like Good Morning America, NBC News. And uh, Makayla has also been invited to the White House two times already. Uh, she also includes intermission to save the bee population around the world using her business and the technology that she uses access to. And uh, Michaela said this, when I was four years old, I became a kidpreneur, entrepreneur, so kidpreneur, and a teenage CEO by creating a lemonade stand. Today, it's turned into a nationwide wide business, a movement to save the bees, and a way to inspire both kids and adults, and I like this, to go big, follow their dreams, and make a difference along the way. I like that. I mean, it's amazing. She started out at four years old, yeah? She's a CEO at 15 and in this uh, a company. I mean, I think Forbes even acknowledged it or talked about it in the magazine. But she surely did, we would say, go big, like she said, right? Even from small kid days. Well, 
In our study here, as we get back to the Gospel of Luke tonight, we come to the story of a small man named Zacchaeus who went big in his move toward getting closer to Jesus. So the title of our message is this, A Big Move from a Small Man. A Big Move from a Small Man. Now we're going to be studying Luke chapter 19 from verses 1 through 10. Now, you may have noticed here and you guys online that the notes aren't being put up there. It's not a mistake from our technical crew. It's me. (laughs) I didn't get it. Uh, together today. I totally forgot about it. There's a bunch of stuff going on. My daughter was here flying out today, and so there's just a bunch of stuff, and it just slipped my mind. I planned to do it in the afternoon, and it didn't happen. But that's okay, right? We're used to old school days when you never saw it in the screen. (laughs) So you got to listen now, okay? Anyway, the title is A Big Move from a Small Man, and again, Luke chapter 19 from verses 1 through 10 tonight. Now, our outline is this, the conscience, the compassion, and the confirmation. It's going to be those three things. So let's begin with, number one, the conscience, the conscience. And we're going to be covering verses 1 through 4 in this section. But first of all, let's take a look at verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. Uh, it begins here, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So we'll stop here. We get into this story, this account now, and Luke is writing, and he talks about how he, which is Jesus, entered Jericho and entered the city like he was passing through. Now, if you remember last time in chapter 18, we saw Jesus approaching the city of Jericho, which is different from the Jericho where their walls fell down, right? In Joshua, in the book of Joshua. It's actually a different Jericho that Herod had built up and called it Jericho. So remember, Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem. This Jericho is about 50 miles east of Jerusalem. And so last week we saw him approach Jericho where he healed the blind man, right? So now... We come into this account in chapter 19. He's entering Jericho and passing through to get on his journey toward Jerusalem. Well, as as he did that, behold, verse 2, it says, There was this man named Zacchaeus. I don't know why I can't say that tonight. And Zacchaeus, now, we, we are introduced to this guy. Now, he was a chief tax collector. So being a chief the chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, he was like a head guy. He was top of all, all the other tax collectors, perhaps in that area, uh, uh, maybe other towns that were around this city of Jericho, this town of Jericho. But he was the top guy, and because he was the top head guy, top of the pyramid, the top guy, he was rich. And we could say he was very, very rich. Now, remember we've talked about tax collectors before. They work for Rome. They're Jewish guys who work for Rome and they collected the taxes like property tax and uh, income tax and things like that. They were the IRS agents of Rome. But remember they're Jewish guys too. So the other Jews in society, they hated these guys because they basically work for the enemy 
Rome. So they were like traitors there, and, and, and so they, they didn't like that. On top of that, these guys are really corrupt guys. I mean, they were like, they could charge, Rome allowed them to charge any amount above those taxes they were supposed to collect, that quota, so to speak. And so they would exploit that power uh, where Rome allowed them to collect anything above that. So they would abuse their position, and they would charge above the taxes that were needed to be paid, and that would be like their commission, and they could set any commission rate that they wanted. So because of that, these guys became very rich and very hated because the Jews, other Jews in the society knew what these guys were doing, and they were despised, and they were looked at such sinners, right, working for the enemy, just going for money, you know, uh, abusing their power and taking money. So... Here we see in verses 1 and 2 this hated top tax collector, Zacchaeus, who is stationed here in Jericho. Now, that, that Jericho is probably a pretty strategic place to be because a lot of people pass through on their way to Jerusalem. So as they pass through, these tax collectors could collect other kind of taxes to make them rich. So Rome allowed these guys to go above like their property tax and things like that. They they could like they, what they would do, they charge like a cart tax. Like if you have a cart, you know, pulling your goods, so oh you got tax for the cart. Uh, they would count the number of wheels and axles on a cart and you'd be taxed for that. You'd be taxed for the goods in your cart. Uh, that the animal, all kinds of things where they can make money off of people going through. So you can imagine the wealth these guys had for abusing the system for their own gain. So, And you can imagine Zacchaeus. When it says here in verse 2 that he was rich, he was like very, very rich here because he's the top guy. All right, verse 3 and 4 goes on. It says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on, on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran on a ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way so we'll stop there now Zacchaeus was seeking in verse 3 it says to see Jesus he the word seeking there actually means he was striving he was like really wanting to see Jesus and to meet Jesus and just I'm sure he heard so much about Jesus. And so there was something going on with this tax collector that is different from the other tax collector. Something must have been pulling on his heart because he says here he's seeking to see Jesus. And why would a tax collector even care? I mean, I, I mean, why would he? He had everything, right? Why would he even care to see Jesus uh, uh, this poor rabbi coming through the town, passing through. I mean, he could have just, oh, whatever, you know, let him pass through. Something was going on in his heart. You know what I was thinking about? J.D. Rockefeller, the richest man in the early 1900s. And some say because of the, you know, cost and, you know, inflation and the amount, what a dollar's worth today compared to the 1900s. Some even say he was the richest guy ever in the world. You know what he said? He said, I've made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. So I was thinking about this. I was keying in on verse 2 where say this tax collector was 
rich. I mean, he's like really rich. He's the top guy. He's the chief tax collector. And here in verse 3, he's seeking Jesus. Something's going on. You can imagine maybe there is no happiness in him. He has everything he could ever have. He, 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 and I'm sure, I believe, it must have been this emptiness yeah, inside of him. And I bet hearing about Jesus, hearing this is the Messiah, the miracles that are going on, this is God, this is God come in the flesh, Emmanuel, I bet it brought conviction upon his heart and his sin. The emptiness was uh, moved into this conviction of his sin, everything that he was doing. And I believe the conscience, his conscience, what bothered him. And that's what drove him in verse 3 to be seeking to see who Jesus was. I believe it's the conscience there. So, here we see that drove him to see who Jesus was. But it says here, on account of the crowd he could not because why? He was small in stature. What does that mean? He was short. Yeah. And I don't mean to offend anybody who's short, you know. Or, or maybe it's politically correct to say you're vertically challenged. But um, he was short. He was a short Jewish guy. And he could, because of the crowd, you can imagine all he sees is just a wall of people. He can't see over their heads. And he wants to see Jesus. He's seeking Jesus. So what did he do? Well, it says in verse 4 that he ran on ahead. So he ran ahead. You know, that he's passing through the town. Maybe there's one main street. Jesus is going down. So he ran way ahead of Jesus traveling and journeying and walking. He ran on ahead. And then he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Interesting, uh, Luke specifically mentions it's a sycamore tree. And what I read was um, the commentator said a sycamore tree is, is generally more... Um, bigger and wider and the branches are are wider and bigger so it would be easy for him to climb and also to sit on the branch and the branch won't break so it was a a perfect tree for him to climb up to get a glimpse of Jesus going by perfect for a short man now understand something here though in verse 4 when it said he ran on ahead you know this is unusual because wealthy men don't run they don't run. And then it says that he climbed up into the sycamore tree. You know what? That's the second thing. Wealthy men don't climb trees. So we have a lot of indications here that something is going on, right? Zacchaeus was driven to seek out Jesus. No one forced him. Yeah. No one made him. He was totally driven inside of him. No one made him climb. And he was even willing to do a shameful thing that no rich, wealthy guy does. He is driven to do that, to see Jesus. So this was a big move from a small man to actually do that. The other day, um, the family was, we were hanging out outside, Janaya was here and um, Janae was talking about, oh, let, Dad, can you take us surfing before I go back and all this? I go, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was trying to figure out, oh, should we go, you know, West Side or North Shore? And then uh, from the way we were sitting, I couldn't see the North Shore. I could usually see the outer reef. And if it's breaking, it's really big. Yeah, if it's white. Maybe you guys have seen the white lines lately. It's pretty big right now. And so I, I couldn't see, um, it, you know, 
if I could catch a glimpse of, of if, if the outer reef was breaking. So I started just jumping up and down, like trying to look over, to, you know, over the trees and see if I could see the outer reef. And then Jared just started laughing at me. And I was like, oh, whatever, I don't care, you know. <laughs> I wanted to really see and I, you know, maybe give an answer right then. So can you imagine, you know, like Zacchaeus, like trying to like jump up. I can't, I can't, I can't see, you know. And then he runs and makes that effort. And really, it was a desperate effort, right? He didn't care if he was shamed or not. Well, Zacchaeus shamefully ran ahead, climbed a tree, because here's here's the point: the big move from a small man shows his desperate need to clear his conscience. That's what's going on. He's convicted. I think the emptiness in his heart was driving like, oh, I'm, I'm empty. I'm, you know, what is it? I have everything I have. And then he's hearing about Jesus. And I think conviction was starting in his heart. And, that, and, and the Holy Spirit comes, convicts you, and bothers your conscience. And now your conscience is, i got to make this right. i got to make this right. That's your conscience working there. Our conscience is, is like an alarm going off in your head telling you, if you're doing wrong. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses in our, when he convicts us. Yeah? And sometimes our conscience can be seared. Paul talks about that. When we keep uh, trying to silence it. You know, it's like um, the other day, uh, uh, my, uh, I have a, I set an alarm on my Apple Watch. And my Apple Watch is muted. And so it just vibrates. And so I, I set, it, set it to wake me up in the morning. And I have it on vibrate because I don't want to wake up my wife. And so it's just going off, and I'm hitting it, you know, and 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 um and I actually set a couple alarms because I keep hitting it uh, when I'm really tired. And so I hit it, you know, like stop, and then go back, and then uh, the next one goes, and I hit it, stop. And but um you know one morning I, I was tired and I hit it, stop, but the other ones I didn't even feel. It's like my my sensitivity <laughs> in my wrist to the vibrations was seared, so to speak. Well, we can do that with our conscience when we keep saying no to our conscience and sear our conscience. But you know what? When God comes in our life and saves us, He like wipes that clean and He and and He gives us like a fresh conscience to be attentive to. Uh, so when the Holy Spirit moves, that we would respond. And so here is this guy, and I think God used that emptiness, I believe, to move His conscience and show his desperate need to clear his conscience so this big move his effort everything he did was really he needed to make things right and so that drove him it's the conscience that drove him to do that perhaps that's where you're at right now today perhaps your conscience is you're you're being convicted and your conscience is telling you you got to make things right. You got to stop that sin. You got to get forgiveness. You got to go to Jesus. And that alarm is going off in your head. Perhaps maybe you're heavy with guilt. I, I could imagine Zacchaeus heavy with guilt and that even driving him to come and see Jesus and make that effort to go to Jesus. And that's important, you guys, that we do that. We, we, we go to Jesus. And we don't just. Keep pushing it off. Keep pushing it off and see our conscience. But we respond to it. And we do something about that. Because you know what? It's God who's moving in our life. It's God who's working in us, right? 
Perhaps you're online and, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're connected and happen to connect with us or you're listening to this and, and it's past, it's an archive sermon, but wherever you're at, whether here or online, you know what? We need to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction moving our conscience and we need to make every effort to go to Jesus. Don't feel shame. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel like, well, well, there's no one else. I'm the only one. Or all my friends don't do that. doesn't matter, right? Look at Zacchaeus. Look at, the, look at the effort he made. And the thing is, only Jesus can forgive us, take away the guilt, and clear our conscience. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, this is the NLT. It says, just think of how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for us. And so it's only Jesus Christ that can purify our conscience and get us going again. He can heal the the seared ones, the broken conscience. And so it's important we go to Jesus and do what he did. Just no matter what, go to Jesus. So we see a big move from a small man, and the conscience is really sticking out to me here. Number two is the compassion. The compassion. Number two in our outline is the compassion. We're going to cover verses 5 through 7 here. Now look at verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. All right, so when Jesus came to the place, what's that place? Where Zacchaeus is up in the tree, right? Looking for getting this glimpse of Jesus coming by. Jesus, when he got to that place where the tree is, where Zacchaeus was, Jesus stopped and he looked up at Zacchaeus, this tax collector, and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. Isn't that awesome? Jesus stops. Now, there's two things I want you to notice. Number one, Jesus stops here to reach out to Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus is on this mission, right? He's going to fulfill why he came, his purpose, to die on the cross. And he's on his way. He's, what, passing through the town, right? He he has to get there. There's a lot of events that got to happen, right, all the way up to when he's put on a cross. But Jesus stops here. And I love that thought, you guys. God is never too busy for us, for our situations, for our pains, for for even when we have fallen, when we're sinners, God is not going, Ugh, I can't deal with you right now, right? No, Jesus stops and he stops to minister to Zacchaeus. I love that. The second thing, isn't this amazing? In verse uh, 5, Jesus looked up, he saw him and he says, Zacchaeus! How does he know his name? Well, we know he's God, right? He calls him by his name. Jesus knows his name. And you know what? That encourages me. Jesus knows me by name. Yeah? I'm not just some number somewhere, right? Well, 
I called into something the other day, and they're like, well, what's your account number? Yeah. And they look you up by account number, and then, then they figure out, oh, let me confirm, what's your name? You know. But the number is first. But God, the first thing is not a number, but his name. And that that is just so special to me, that Jesus knows my name. And he knows your name. And that's how intimately he knows you. That's his relationship with you. That's how much he cares for you. You know, perhaps when Jesus stops, looks up at him, and I'm sure Zacchaeus is like, whoa, whoa, he sees me, and then calls him by name. I bet you Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree at that time. But what is that really speaking of? The compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus knowing the state of Zacchaeus' heart. So here's Jesus. He, he says, I'm, going, I'm coming to your house. Right? Jesus basically is like knocking at his door. Yeah, He's saying, I'm, I want to come into your house. I want to come. And it makes me think of Revelation, right? Chapter 3, the church of Ephesus, when Jesus said, I'm knocking, yeah, like on the door of your heart. You know, we talk about that. Jesus knocks on the door of your heart. And this is what we see. Jesus is essentially knocking on the door of his heart. He's like, come down. I'm going to go to your house. Come. And then it says in verse 6, so he hurried, Zacchaeus, hurry up, came down and received him joyfully. Number one, he obeyed Jesus. Jesus said, come, and I'm going to your house. He came down. Come down. So he obeyed Jesus. When Jesus calls us, we need to obey him. We need to go to him, right? And then he did it. He hurried. He met another. He did it immediately. He came down, and then he received him joyfully. When he received Jesus, there's joy, right? Jesus knows my name. Jesus stops for me. I believe here when he received Jesus, it was, it was probably receiving Jesus into his heart. Jesus knocked in his heart. Jesus, he received Jesus. But I also believe it talked about that he received Jesus into his home. Yeah? And he received Jesus. He brought him in. And when Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight, he received uh, Jesus into his house. And so here is Zacchaeus. I believe that Zacchaeus opened his heart, and not just his home, but opened his heart and welcomed Jesus in. I think this could have been the time that he really came to faith and was saved. Yeah, I believe at this moment. You know what? I love this because Zacchaeus made the effort to try and get a glimpse of him, try and, hey, I, uh, Jesus, I, I need you, I need to see you, right, kind of thing. And then what? Jesus saw that, saw him in the tree, knew what was happening. Jesus then knocked on his heart and Jesus loved on him. Most of us are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We know that, right? We, we, some of us, that's our life verse. But you know what? It goes on in Jeremiah chapter 29. Listen to verse 12, the next verse, and 13 in the first part of 14. It says this, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares 
the Lord. This is really an invitation of, of the Lord to Israel. And he's speaking to Israel. They're going into captivity. Jeremiah prophesied that. But he gave a word like the, the Lord saying, Hey, but you know what, you guys? I have a future and a hope for you guys. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to call upon me. You're going to pray to me. Yeah, and I'm going to hear you. You're going to seek me out. Yeah, In that place where... Well, really, they, they went into captivity because of their judgment that they went after idols, right? So they were in sin, so to speak, like Zacchaeus here. But God says, you know what? You're going to seek me, and you're going to find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's Zacchaeus. He was seeking Jesus with all his heart. He didn't care what people thought. He shamefully did things a wealthy person didn't do, but he sought out Jesus with all his heart. And what did he find? Jesus there. Jesus there. Do you see what happened? Do, do, can you see that we need to do the same? We need to seek out Jesus like that. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I blew it. I'm not good. And you, and you kind of like, oh, I'm not worthy to go before the Lord. Or, or you start feeling insecure about yourself. Oh, I'm just terrible. You know, I'm, I'm not a good guy. Oh, God, Oh, I don't know, God, why would he even love me? And then your own self-condemnation, the devil comes and condemns you, and then you just, you feel like, ah, oh, I'm not sure if I, I don't know if I'll go to God, yeah? But that's not what you need to do. That's what the devil would like you to do. But what we see here is an example of what we need to do. Zacchaeus, he was a hated guy. Uh, he was a sinner in the community. He was, he knew how bad he was, yeah? What did he do? He sought out Jesus because Jesus was the only one who could forgive and heal him. And when he did, when he made all that effort, he found Jesus. So understand that. Verse 7, And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So sadly, we see in verse 7, they didn't see what was going on here. Yeah? They didn't see the compassion of Jesus receiving and going after uh, Zacchaeus here. The crowd, which is who we're talking about, when they, the crowd, saw it, they grumbled. They complained. They're like, what? What's he doing? This, this is not according to the rules. This is not what... what He's a sinner. I mean, he's he's despised. He's cast off. He, you know, he's not holy, right? How can you you go, you'll be defiled by that Jesus? What? And so they complain, they grumble, saying, "Wow, he's what? He went into that house. Zacchaeus received him. You know, opened the door, and he, and he went in to be a guest of a man who is this sinner." Oh, that's all wrong. That's all wrong. Remember this too, that the tax collectors, they were banned from going into the temple. That's how bad it was. That's how bad the, the people and the priests and the Pharisees even thought of tax collectors. They're low lowlifes. They're no good. They're not allowed in the temple because they're such sinners. But here's Jesus, the Messiah. He went in. I think the people are like confused, critical of what Jesus was doing you know they were the ones really that were unwilling to have compassion and give grace there was no, no mercy in their heart the interesting thing is Zacchaeus his name actually means clean pure and righteous but his life was you know far from what his parents probably hoped he would be and that's why they named him that 
So the people could only see that this guy, he was short on integrity and tall on sin. Yeah. But the thing is, it is it's true. It's true. He, he's not a good guy. We're going to see in a moment. But Jesus saw his heart and still reached out to him. And I think we have to be careful that we're not closing doors to someone who's really trying to change. Maybe they're struggling in some sins. Maybe they're struggling in some things. Maybe they're not towing the line like you think they should be. But we've got to look at their heart. Besides, are we perfect? <laughs> you know, right? I was talking to someone um, this week, like, I mean, what I think a lot is I try to tell myself, who am I? Yeah, to come down on someone. Who am I? Yeah. But we should have compassion. And these guys didn't. So unlike the people, Jesus desired to be with Zacchaeus. For, here's our point, Jesus came to save and not condemn because of his compassion for the lost sinner. That's his heart. Jesus came to save and not condemn because of his compassion for the lost sinner. We know John 3.16, another verse we know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know that, right? That, that's our gospel. That's the salvation message. But do you know the next verse? Verse 17, John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus came to save. That's his mission. And so for me, I think about, I qualify as one who Jesus came to save. I'm a sinner, yet he saved me. And so tonight, maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're coming out of something. Maybe you're online and there's there's something going on. You're being convicted or your conscience is bothering you and you want to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus then. Come tonight because that's his mission to save us and for us who are saved we got to be careful not to lose that mission also yeah we don't want to be like the people the crowd here what i can't believe believe that right don't forget why we are still here jesus his purpose was to save so what did he do he went through the town he knew, God knew, Zacchaeus in the tree. He knew what was going on. So what did he do? He stopped, called him by name, took the time to be with him, and went to his house. we got to remember that purpose. No matter how busy, no matter what's going on, you know, there, we, we can't forget why we're still here. I mean, I, I think about, Lord, just take us home now. <laughs> right? You saved us. We have eternal, let's have eternal life. I know there's things for us to grow in and mature in and our spiritual growth. But there's a huge reason why we need to be here. He wants to use us as a light in the world. So we have a purpose too. You know, years ago I read about this businessman, Sohan Singh. He told a London newspaper that he was forced, he said, to take drastic action against people with what he said, bad manners. Listen to this. He first 
banned customers from entering his grocery store who smoked. Then he banned people uh, to come into his grocery store who spoke crude language, like cussed and everything. But then he was bothered by baby strollers, so he banned them. Then he banned anybody with pets, so they couldn't come in. Finally, he banned the customers themselves. He just got sick and tired. He said, no one come in. So now shoppers look through a window to pick out items they want, then ring a bell, and they're given their groceries through a hatch door. Singh says, I have lost business, but I am a man of principles, and I stand by my decision. Crazy, yeah? Crazy. But you know what? We as believers could easily get like that. Oh, well, you don't believe what I, I believe? You don't believe in what, you know, what the news is saying or what the government is saying. And so, oh, something's wrong. With, and so you build a wall and you, and you cut people off. We see the church being divided today. Today. But you know what's worse? Is there's Christians building a wall against unbelievers. That's what's worse to me. I think we lost sight of our purpose, yeah, and we go too far with the principles, yeah. Really, I think it's pride. I'm so glad, aren't you, that Jesus isn't like that? That we're not reading that here in Luke 19, right? That that's not the lesson. No, it's the compassion of Jesus that had him stop and take the time to be with Zacchaeus. So we see a big move from a small man and. Wow, his conscience drove him to do that, but what he found was the compassion. Well, number three, the rest of our section from verse 8 through 10 is the confirmation. The confirmation. Number three, the confirmation. Now, look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, stop right there, okay? Here now, we are in the house, and Zacchaeus stands up. Now, most likely, when Zacchaeus received Jesus into his house, it was a big dinner. It was a big meal, let's say. I think it's similar to like uh, Matthew, right? Matthew, didn't Matthew have a dinner and everything, yeah, um, in the same sense, yeah, and invited Jesus. So I'm guessing Zacchaeus did a similar thing, had a big meal for Jesus, maybe invited his uh, under underlings, tax collector guys, because he's safe. He wants everyone to know Jesus. So he invites them all. So, so in this dinner, he stands up. And to stand up means he has something to say. And him being the chief tax collector, the top guy, everyone's going to go, okay, you know, he's going to tell us something. We got to respect, we got to listen to him. So I would assume everyone got quiet. But imagine this now. In front of all his tax collector guys under him, Zacchaeus makes this incredible, unreal commitment, really, to God himself. And so he says here, first of all, he's, he, he says in uh, verse 8, Behold, Lord, he's talking to Jesus, making the commitment to him, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Now remember, Zacchaeus is rich. And he's willing to take half of everything of his wealth and let it go. Give it over to the poor. Think about that. I mean, we talk about, oh, 10%, you know, 
um, and we wrongly think I, um, that, well, God wants 10%. Well, I think it's a good place to start. It's the Old Testament, you know, a tenth, you know, a tithe is the meaning tenth. It's from the Old Testament. But really, Paul tells us in Corinthians that, no, you just give from your heart. So it doesn't have to be 10%. But either way, look, this guy gave 50% half of his wealth to the poor. I was thinking, wow, remember the rich young ruler? He couldn't let go any of it. Something's really going on in his heart, right? To be able to let go as well. And then the second thing, he says in, in verse 8, and if I've defrauded, like cheated anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So I think the rest of his riches, he said, you know what? I'm going to use that. And if I defrauded, if I cheated anyone... Now, in the Old Testament, Numbers 5, 7, if you cheated someone, you're supposed to, uh, restitution is 20% more of what you defrauded a guy with. Uh, in Exodus 22, 4, if you stole someone's sheep, you're, you're to restore two sheep. Like, what would that be? 100%? Yeah. <laughs> the sheep and the other one. Yeah. So, two sheep. If the sheep was killed, then you are to give them four sheep, fourfold. Here is Zacchaeus going all the way. Yeah, he cheated people. Yeah, he stole. But I think he feels like he, he destroyed people's lives. Yeah. And so he's willing to, to restore 400% or, you know, fourfold, totally back, going all the way according to the Old Testament law. So this is a big move from this small man to willingly let go of his riches, give to the poor, and to restore fourfold to every person. I mean, he's pretty rich. That must be a lot of people, too, you know, in that town and all. Something has really changed, right? Something has really changed. James 2, verse 17 says, So also by faith, uh, also faith by itself, it does, if it does not have works, is dead, right? Well, um, faith without works is dead, James talks about. Well, definitely there's evidence of his faith and salvation in his heart. And so there, his actions here and what he said and what he committed to do for God shows something's going on. It com that's the confirmation. Well, Jesus recognizes that too. Look at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now this is a beautiful thing, because Jesus brings the confirmation that Zacchaeus is saved now, that Zacchaeus is made right with God. And Jesus puts his official stamp, you know, on all of this. And he says, salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus is saved. And Zacchaeus, living in this house, salvation has come. And then notice what he says here, that he is also, verse 9, a son of Abraham. I wonder if that really touched him deeply. Because for so long, he's despised. You're not part of us. You're part of Rome. You're a traitor. You're an enemy, right? 
But here Jesus says, no, you're a son of Abraham. You're, you're a true son. We should Maybe well, it's better to say it that way, of Abraham. Paul talked about in Galatians 3, verse 6 through 7, that by faith Abraham believed God and was saved. And that the true children of Abraham are those who believe in Christ. And, and, and so here Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you're a true son of Abraham. This is, this is a true completed Jew. Maybe we use that term today. You know what's interesting? I like this. One of the early church fathers, they are like the, the pastors and leaders after the apostles died, up, died off. And so in the early church, after apostles who started the church, the early church fathers, one of the early church fathers said, they, they write that Zacchaeus became the pastor of the church in Caesarea, which is in the um, northern part of Israel. Isn't that cool? I think that's awesome that it started here. He got saved here in chapter 19. So Jesus confirms that Zacchaeus, his actions really show that he's saved. And then Jesus confirms his mission, really, in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, remember, that's the Messiah from the book of Daniel, uh, Jesus. He has come to what? To seek people and to save, not to condemn him like we've been talking about, to save the lost, the sinners who've lost their way from God who are lost in sin. And remember, Verse 10 of chapter 19 here in Luke is our theme verse of the whole book. This is the theme, really, of, of, of our book and what I believe Luke is putting forth. And our theme, really, was Jesus was born a man in order to die on a cross for our sins. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus confirms his mission here as he confirms that Zacchaeus is saved. This tax collector is saved. William Hendrickson said this, It was to save sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world. He did not come to help them to save themselves, nor to induce them to save themselves, nor even to enable them to save themselves. He came to save them. So I love this. We, our last point is this. Jesus confirms his mission by confirming that the tax collectors found salvation in him. That's what we see. Jesus confirms his mission by confirming Zacchaeus, the sinner, he saved. And that's why I came to save. Jesus is here for that. And it's a beautiful story here. Yeah, This despicable sinner, cheated people, everyone hates him. Yet he comes to Christ and Christ receives him and saves him. Because that's his mission. That's why Jesus stopped. That's why Jesus called him. That's why Jesus took the time to go to his house. Because he came to save sinners. The worst kind. Just like Zacchaeus here. And this is love. I was thinking about the song that comes to my mind um, by 10th Avenue North Carl. Love is here. And the lyrics of the bridge say, And to the bruised and fallen, captives bound and brokenhearted, He is the Lord, He is the Lord. By His stripes He paid our ransom. From His wounds we drink salvation. He is the Lord, He is the Lord. And the chorus is, Love is here, 
Love is here. Love is now. Love is pouring from his hands, from his brow. Love is near, it satisfies. Streams of mercy flowing from his side because love is here. I hope you can see that love is here, right here. To me, this is a lovely, awesome, incredible story. And it warms my heart, you know. I'm, many times we hear about Zacchaeus. Oh, he's that short guy that came to Jesus. But it's much more than him just being this short guy. He's a sinner that was found by Jesus. That Jesus reached out to him. Do you feel rejected? Do you feel an outcast of society? Do you feel empty inside? Even even. You reach the top, or you you've attained goals in your life, or or you know you're at this place in your life, but still something is missing. Maybe you feel discouraged, like small, in the eyes of those around you, like nobody, no one. Well, if you look at this story, love is here. Jesus is here, even right now. I have to tell you, I stand here as a sinner saved by Jesus too. I I. I'm nothing. I made my mistakes. I make my mistakes. Yeah, I'm just like you in need of forgiveness and restoration. And but I stand here, able to teach you guys Luke 19, saying, "This is proof that Jesus saves. He saved me. He saved me." Maybe you're like Zacchaeus and. You're up a tree, so to speak. You know, you're in a desperate place. Jesus is here to save. I want to close with this story. Um, thought this was good. Um, C.H. Spurgeon, he had um, he had a school for preaching for pastors and all, and uh, he was a great pastor in the 18 late 1800s, um, uh, 1800s to mid late 1800s in England, and just very. He, he had like 10,000 people in his church. They didn't have sound system. He just spoke, you know. But um, amazing pastor. And anyway, he opened a school for up-and-coming, you know, ministers. And one day in the school, he called on, in, in one of the classes, he called on a student to preach to the class just on the spot, without any preparation. And his topic, Spurgeon gave him just one word. He said, okay, I want you to come, preach your message, and here's your topic, Zacchaeus. So the student stood up and he cleverly spoke this. Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. Zacchaeus came down, so will I. And then he sat down. <laughs> and, then, and then Spurgeon actually applauded him. I thought that was great. Are you up a tree? Yeah. Are you in a circumstance? Problems overwhelming you? But you know what? Know that Jesus will stop to help you. Just make the move. Jesus will meet you. And will be like Zacchaeus. A big move for, from a small man. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are coming before you tonight in humbleness and in confession of our sins. We are coming to you tonight, Lord, in need. And, and I pray for those here tonight or who are online that are up a tree, that are hurting God because of their sin. 
I pray for those who their conscience is so bothering them. Lord, that you would call their name right now. That you would stop and invite them, God. Knock on the door of their heart, Lord. And and that they would open their heart up to you. And we open our hearts up to you right now. Every one of us, God. Lord, we want to let you in. We need your forgiveness. We need your help. We need your love. God, we, we, we cannot go on anymore without you. Our sins have created situations and consequences that are so hard to bear. And we need your healing in them, God. We need your touch. And so, Lord, just come right now, God. Lord, even if it means that it may shame us, Lord, that we may do things in seeking you that people are going to wonder, what? What are you, a Jesus freak now, whatever? God, it doesn't matter anymore. What matters is you and our life. And for you to come and stop, Lord, the the weight of guilt crushing us and, and stop, Lord, our, our conscience just telling us how bad we are, Lord. That, and, and stop, God, this self-condemnation going, and we need you right now, God. And so, Lord, I pray for your touch tonight, for anyone at the sound of my voice, to be forgiven, Lord, to be cleansed, to, to find peace, God, in you. I pray for someone right now who's feeling super insecure about themselves, and and that insecurity is, is just driving them toward the self-condemnation that, that even in that is, is, is unbearable. It's, it's suffering. It's a battle. It's, it, there's no sleep going on. Lord, I pray and come. And I pray you come and tell them you love them, that you hear, that I'm stopping to call your name to to go into your heart, to go into your house right now. Lord, bring healing upon us all and peace. God, you're the only one who could cleanse us. And so right now I pray for your spirit to move, Lord, to speak, to heal, to fill. We need you. I pray for your presence right now. In Jesus' name.